This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. You ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or a random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man who's working on a mystery without any clues, but plenty of booze. He is the captain. Oh, yeah, I waited on the thunder. I waited on the thunder. It's good to be seen and good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Today we are drinking Texas Red. This is an American Big Texas Amber Lager. Texas Red is extremely balanced, super smooth, and a perfect end-of-the-day relaxer. Garage grade, three and a half bottle caps out of five. And this week's beer is brought to us by all of you awesome people out there. Specifically, we want to thank Zach in Leicestershire, United Kingdom. And a big shout-out to Jamie in Caddy, Texas. Next up, a long-distance cheers and thank you to our friend Emily in Kilkenny, Ireland. I think maybe that city was named after South Park. Big shout-out to Rachel in North Ridgeville, Ohio. Next up, we have Melissa in Fall River, Massachusetts. That's Lizzie Borden country. And last but certainly not least, we have Brian at the Burger Shack in Mesa, Arizona. So cheers to everybody for filling up this week's fridge, even if you are at the Burger Shack. Cheers to you. If you want to help out with next week's show, go to truecrimegarage.com and click on the donate button. It's actually fun having a friend that uh, works at the Burger Shack because they smell tasty. And that is enough of the business. All right, everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. A tragic house fire just two days before Christmas. Three little children trapped inside. A father cannot get his children out, but he somehow manages to escape. The children die, but the man is barely injured. And we discussed yesterday things at his home were less than respectable. People began to judge this man. He was arrested. 
Where we left off yesterday, we had covered the early stages of the trial. We presented the prosecution's case. Today, let's start with the defense. Todd's attorneys attempted to poke holes in the arson investigators' findings, but they did not present any expert witnesses. David Martin later stated that he had limited funds to hire a rebuttal arson expert, and the one that they hired agreed that the prosecution's arson analysis was correct. Martin got Fogg to agree that he could not say that Amber did not set the fire, but that was all he could get. Martin did present into evidence photos of the front porch of the house, showing that there was a charcoal grill and a melted bottle of lighter fluid on the front porch, attempting to show that the puddle patterns found on the floor of the porch and hallway could have been from spilled lighter fluid sprayed around by one of the kids or kerosene from an oil lamp found in the house that had admittedly been ignored by investigators. Also, Martin pointed out both Todd and Stacy were smokers and cigarette lighters were readily available throughout the house. Amber could climb over the baby gate in the doorway of her room. She could have tried to light the old lamp and it spilled in the process. Martin also asked Fogg on cross-examination if the witness knew that the type of lighter fluid found at the house had been recalled because the flip-top lid was too easily opened by children. Martin went after Vasquez as well, challenging his conclusions about the fire's point of origin and Todd's lack of burns on his feet. The defense only presented two witnesses. One was Stacy's cousin who babysat for the family. She testified that there was a kerosene lamp in the house and also that Todd would never have set that fire. Another was a jailhouse informant who testified that Johnny Webb, the state's first witness, had been fed his information and only testified against Todd because he was under threat from some deputies. At the end of the defense's case, there was a very strange interlude in which Martin called Todd to the stand out of the presence of the jury, but with the courtroom full of observers, and asked him if he intended to testify. Todd responded, quote, I don't feel that I should have to. I don't feel that I need to, end quote. With that, the defense rested. Yeah, I found that a little odd, but I think what they were trying to do was to prove the point that the burden is on the prosecution and that this guy that's on trial for the, the, you know, really a heinous murder of his children is saying, hey, look, I don't think you met burden of proof. Yeah, this could have been orchestrated by the defense. The only issue I take with that is that the jury's not present, so I don't know what effect it would have on the case unless they're trying to prove a point to the judge that there was not enough evidence to convict. Right. Later, it emerged that Dunn and Martin had dissuaded Todd from testifying, believing that he would not make a sympathetic witness. So with that, you also have to wonder if they're just doing their due diligence, where he is saying that he wants to testify, 
behind closed doors right. to his attorneys and they are trying to talk him out of it to which they wanted it on the record for court record to cover their own butts that they at least gave him the attempt, the, the chance to testify. And he, the client declined. Right. I, I think the reason why they don't want him to testify is he comes off as a liar right away to everybody. And that's before the, people are really suspicious that he might have caused this fire. So, and then the rumors that he constantly changed his story as a lawyer, probably going, we don't know what he's capable of saying on the stand. Yeah. Yeah. I, this is one of those, one of those stories where I feel like, you know, technically the defense team did their jobs, but you know, I mean, regardless if you think Todd is guilty or not, I have to ask myself and everybody else out there the question, do you think they did a good job? They they put up only one character witness, a teenager, right. no experts of their own, after the trial. Right, and I feel like they could have, we have statements from his wife, which you would think that if she thinks he's responsible for this, that she would hate him. You'd think at some point they would get her to say in court, you know, yes, he was a he was a piece of shit, and he beat me, and he thought he was Billy Badass with his shitty mullet, but he thought the world of his daughters, and he wouldn't have done this. He wouldn't have killed his daughters. That's interesting for the defense, I guess. In their in their defense, it's a it's a constant battle of trying to determine how much sympathy the jury is going to find in a witness or your client in comparison to the information that they're being told by that witness or the client at the same point where maybe somebody like me might say, well, we know he was abusive to her and she still says he couldn't have done it. Right. That carries a lot of weight for me. There's other people on the opposite side of the fence with that, that would then say, well, we have proof. We have proof that he's abusive. He's a monster. And right. I, I actually believe that points more toward that he did do it, even though she says he couldn't have. Right. Or is she just saying this out of fear? Because if he gets out, what's going to happen to her? Look, they try to poke holes in the expert's uh, opinion, right? But like you said, they didn't call their own expert. And I think that is probably the biggest downfall. And that might have been out of their hands. And I know that's scary to think about. Uh, but it's probably the reality, maybe not 100% in this case, but it's the reality in a lot of cases that have gone on in our system throughout the years. Obviously, Todd didn't have any money. His defense was provided yeah. by the state. They did say, look, we we had a very small budget. We used a portion of that to pay an arson expert. However, that expert said he agreed with the findings of the prosecution of right. the of the prosecution's witnesses and then boom our budget's done we have no more money if todd had been a rich man mm-hmm. and if there were a lot of money to fund his defense he'd be a rich piece of shit they would have found somebody to dispute yeah. some of those expert findings yeah the more i learn about our justice system and justice systems around the world one thing that seems to be very clear is the only way for you to actually get a fair trial is to have money that that's a pretty strong statement i think most would agree with you 
Um, I do in this situation. I don't know if I would say that 100% across the board. One thing I do not agree with at all is after the trial, Todd's lawyers were vocal about the fact that they did not believe their client was innocent. Dunn said to an interviewer, quote, to me, he was not repentant. He had this attitude and air about him that he was wrongfully charged, end quote. Even worse, the lead defense counsel, David Martin, said, quote, the real fact of the matter is that Willingham was guilty. He wasn't innocent. He really set that fire and killed those kids, end quote. The jurors agreed. In post-trial interviews, they said there was never a question as to Todd's guilt. One juror, Laura Marks, said she would have found Todd guilty even without the arson finding, solely because he did not try to save his children. The deck, it seems, was stacked against Todd from the start. In all, the trial lasted just three days. The jury deliberated for just 77 minutes. Wow. Cameron Todd Willingham was found to be guilty. Every time I think I know most most of the things about the case, then you throw something out that I didn't hear. 77 minutes is not that long. Well, that's because I'm making it up as I go along. Oh, yeah. Okay. In, <laughs> uh, so it's, it's quite easy. I think, they, um, I, thought, I think they thought about this for about 77 minutes. In the penalty phase, Prosecutor Jackson painted Todd as a violent psychopath, and he brought in a medical expert to testify to this. Psychiatrist Dr. James Grigson testified that Todd was a, quote, extremely severe psychopath. The psychologist Tim Gregory testified that the posters on Todd's wall showed violence and death, he said. Many times individuals that have a lot of this type of art have interest in satanic type activities. So, again, just one of a bazillion crimes where we see something as simple as some artwork with skulls on it. Right. And somebody saying that there's a chance that this guy is a psychopath, that he's a Satan worshiper. Um, I have that cool skull on my kitchen table. I'm going to throw it away. You know what? So it, they can't ever. You know, he's into the devil. Right. I, I guess, I guess to be fair, um, I don't think that the psychopath determination was based solely off of these posters. Obviously right, this guy's, right beating his wife repeatedly and possibly very likely her, could right. be a psychopath and possibly beating her while she's pregnant. Now here's where we get more character witnesses. This is because we have the penalty phase, right? So several members of Todd's family, they would take the stand here asking the judge to spare Todd from the death penalty. This time it did include Stacy Jackson proceeded to grill her about the tattoos Todd had. He asked about the significance of the very large tattoo of a skull encircled by some kind of serpent. Stacy responded that it was simply just a tattoo. It didn't mean anything. Yeah, the tattoo, what she should have said is that tattoo's as shitty as his haircut. Prosecutor John Jackson never wavered from his conviction that Todd was guilty. The supposed pentagram on the floor and the Satanist image posters on his walls were just icing on the cake. The jury sentenced Todd to death after deliberating for less than two hours. He was then moved to the T 
Texas State Prison at Huntsville to await his execution. But Todd, he's going to get a pen pal once he's in prison, right? Well, in 1999, a 47-year-old playwright named Elizabeth Gilbert decided to do a good deed and participate in a program where people become pen pals with death row prisoners. She was assigned to Todd Willingham, who by now was on death row for the last seven years. The two struck up an unlikely friendship. Elizabeth began looking into Todd's case after she visited him in prison and found him to be clean cut, polite. She just thought he was a nice young man and he was adamant that he was innocent. He's been fooling people for a while. She read the trial transcripts and spoke with his family and she was horrified at what she found. Gilbert concluded that Todd's trial was completely unfair. For one thing, the psychiatrist who testified that Todd was a psychopath had never actually met Todd at all. That seems like it should be part of the requirement, right? To diagnose somebody as a psychopath. Yeah. Well, I've been diagnosing people as pieces of shit for a long time. I never met any of them. And then we have Dr. Grigson who testified for the prosecution in more than 100 death penalty cases. So this earned him the nickname of Dr. Death. And in 1995, three years after Willingham's trial, Gregson was expelled from the American Psychiatric Association for violating ethics. Turns out Gregson repeatedly arrived at a psychiatric diagnosis without examining the individuals in question and for indicating while testifying in court as an expert witness that he could predict with 100% certainty that individuals would engage in future violent acts. To top that off, the supposed satanic imagery found in Todd's home and presented to the jury was actually a Led Zeppelin and an Iron Maiden poster. Todd's stepmother and brother told Elizabeth what a good dad Todd was. He had settled down and married Stacy for the good of his kids. Elizabeth even met with Stacy, who divorced Todd and refused to visit him on death row. Stacy told Elizabeth seven years after the trial that Todd beat her, but she still believed he would never hurt the kids. Stacy added when the fire occurred, things were good between them and Todd had no reason to set it. Furthermore, Stacy said that the morning of the fire, it was cool out and she recalled that the space heater in the kid's room was powered on. More than once, she said she found Amber messing with it. Well, it's weird because it's just happenstance that, she, that Elizabeth gets connected with Todd and that she's the type of person that will go out of her way to try to figure out this case, or at least to get more evidence so she can make a judgment for herself. Mm-hmm. And then she goes, well, now I think he's innocent, and but he's set to die by the hands of the state. Yeah, she's, I mean, she's convinced after meeting with his family, after meeting with Stacy, reading the trial transcripts, that Todd has been railroaded. But unfortunately, his execution date is getting closer, and she kind of fears that there's nothing that she can do. Then Todd confesses to her 
that he has been hiding this big secret for a decade now. Todd said he had lied to investigators about his attempts to rescue the children. He was racked with guilt. As Elizabeth told Frontline, quote, in his mind, he couldn't acknowledge that he didn't, you know, try to save his children. So he concocted the story that he, you know, tried to go in and find the babies and couldn't. Todd says, quote, what I am guilty of is being a coward. Shortly after this, Elizabeth was in a terrible auto accident and her ability to help Todd came to a screeching halt. But science modernizes and so does fire science. Before the Todd Willingham murder trial, this on February 10th, 1992, the National Fire Protection Association published a groundbreaking document titled NFPA 921. This document, compiled by 30 fire experts, including John Lentini, who will come up again, contained updated guidelines for fire investigators that reflected many new advances in fire science. The Texas Fire Marshal's Office, along with most other fire investigatory bodies, adopted NFPA 921 as the standard in fire analysis. NFPA 921 was based on fire science, not the folklore and gut instinct that dominated fire investigations for generations. Yeah, which kind of drives me nuts that it would even be possible that somebody would be sentenced to death for arson if basically the investigators are just going off of gut instincts and not some proven science. One thing we all need to keep in mind, and this is one general misconception that I see often when talking to a lot of people regarding trial and testimony presented at trial. When somebody sits on the stand and tells you what they think happened, we need to keep in mind that even though the prosecution or the defense or even the judge or the court itself is telling you that so-and-so is here, they are an expert, you need to keep in mind that what you have to do as a juror, what your job is as a juror is to take that information and take it into consideration. It doesn't necessarily mean that somebody sitting on the stand is presenting to you the fact that this is, in fact, arson or this murder had to be conducted this way because I'm an expert and I say this is how it happened. It's not fact. It's one expert's opinion. Right. And then we weigh those opinions against our own feelings and the other information that is presented. The problem you have here in this particular case is there's no other opinion that was presented at the time. Now, I will say this. Todd Willingham is one of the most unlucky people to ever be tried in, in court. And I say that because of this. And this, this is regardless if you think he's innocent or guilty. Mm-hmm. What takes place here is this document that becomes the new standard for fire investigation, becomes the new standard on how you determine if arson was committed, this NFPA 921 document. This 
does not go into effect until February of 1992. By this point, the investigation at Todd's home has already been conducted. Yeah. They're going off of the old information. These two, these two old school guys went through the scene, saw what they saw, and then gave their opinion and said, hey, this fire was set. And we know Todd Willingham was in the home at the time that the fire started. He must be the one that started it, and therefore he needs to be arrested. He was arrested in January, uh, January 8th. This document goes out in February. Now, here's where it, it becomes a, a big, uh, a big time misstep, in my opinion. Uh-huh. Yes, he's already arrested. Yes, he's going to be charged. However, his murder trial, the triple homicide trial, does not start until, what was it, August? So we have months that go by that say this. these two experts' opinion might not be the best opinion out well, there. Right. And basically what states is these guys are going by the old school way, so guess what? Their opinion don't mean shit. And so, again, I think um, you would think that the the defense lawyers would know about this report and and use this to their their advantage. But but a lot of them are defending so many people. So who knows? Yeah, that's that's again where I say it. It looks like technically they did their job. They represented this man and they they did put up some fight. But then you have to, at the end of the day, question truly how much of a fight did they provide and their job and their duty as an attorney in representing this man is they have a fiduciary duty to every one of his best interests or what they're supposed to be pushing. Right. Well, yeah. And, and I think here, like you said, they, they try to get their own expert witness and they go, well, I agree with the, the state's, yeah, because he's going off of the old information, I would guess, as well. Right, and the thing is, you could disprove everything that they say just by simply going, do you go by this new way or the old way? Oh, you go by the old way? Well, guess what? That doesn't count anymore. So guess what? You're not an expert anymore unless you're going by the new way. Well, here's the other thing, too. When they're dispersing that information, mm-hmm. I, I kind of wonder... Even if the defense, here's the thing. We we were just talking about, you, you said to me in yesterday's show, so you're saying here on the record that you're not a fire investigator and arson expert. And I said, no, I only know what I know from this case and a few other fire cases that we've covered in the past. Right. The His attorneys, Todd's attorneys are not technically fire experts either. The disappointing thing here is that these two experts made their analysis and their opinion in January, which led to his arrest. Then they are on the stand in August. And at no point do they say, Hey, some of the thought on this stuff has changed. Right. And, you know, we do see that from time to time, especially when you're talking about people that have, that are working in a field where they have 20, 25 years experience. And then something new comes about. They ain't always on board in the beginning or sometimes ever. Now, speaking of experts, mm-hmm. this will bring us to a significant point in our story, which is in January of 2004. Keep in mind, Todd's execution is scheduled for February 17th. 
So we're just weeks away from Texas executing Todd Willingham. His appeals have been exhausted by this point. We have his cousin. Her name is Patricia Cox. She saw a fire science uh, fire scientist named Gerald Hurst on TV. Dr. Hurst was a chemist with a PhD from Cambridge who studied fire from a chemical and scientific perspective. One journalist referred to him as the godfather of modern arson science. Pat called Hurst and begged him to take a look at Todd's case. Hurst agreed to, free of charge. Four weeks before Todd was scheduled to be executed, Hurst received the trial transcripts, the state's arson report, and a videotape showing the actual fire scene. Hurst completely threw out the entire report that was used to convict Todd. He found that its conclusions were not rooted in scientific fact, but outdated concepts and myths. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Everyone is still talking about Monopoly Go for a good reason. It is an absolute hit. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Like countless crazy tournaments, you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Or timed events, offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in. With Monopoly Go, there's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now free on the App Store and Google Play. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off 
IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no-prep, no-mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, we're back. Cheers, mates. Cheers, you filthy animals. So Dr. Hurst, Mm. he was eventually interviewed by Frontline, and he reported his findings 
in that interview. Now, here's what he had to say. The fire had gone to flashover. Flashover left natural patterns on the floor that all post-flashover fires tend to leave behind. And these were what was misidentified as the poor patterns. He goes on to say that the prosecutor in this case literally believed that the burn patterns on the floor were in the shape of a pentagram, like some satanic ritual. When you actually look at the burn pattern that they drew, and then you look at where the windows are, windows furnish ventilation to the fire. Right. There's like a ventilation stream. So really all what you're looking at, in his opinion, was what he calls ventilation patterns. He also said that the sample of wood debris from the base of the front porch that was analyzed, the results were positive for a combustible liquid accelerant, kerosene specifically. Right. Well, that's quite understandable because the porch also had a barbecue on it, so likely there was charcoal lighter fluid there if there was. Hearst believed that either the lighter fluid spilled or it spilled out when the container melted, but it did not cause the fire. Mm-hmm. This is this is a little tricky because we have the defense earlier pointing out that there was, in fact, charcoal lighter fluid on the front porch that could have been spilt by one of the kids. Right, but there's also a grill out there. That's It seems like that's where Todd grilled out was the front porch. Todd's feet weren't burned because if no accelerant was poured on the floor, the floor would have been relatively cool until after the flashover occurred in the bedroom. Right. Did you see the video footage of the flashover? I did. Yeah, it's amazing how quickly that room went in, went into flames. Yeah, well, here's also one sad thing that I would like to point out when we talk about Todd's feet and that there was no accelerant poured on the floor, and that's why... You know, in his defense, his feet weren't burned. His feet are also not burned because he didn't attempt to save anybody. Right. We know that from his confession to Elizabeth Gilbert. So that's, at this point, talking to Frontline or whoever, it doesn't even matter about his feet. Yeah, his feet feet aren't burned because, like he said, he's a coward. If if we are to believe him. He, He didn't set the fire, but he didn't try to save anybody. The crazed glass in the windows... Dr. Hurst says is not caused just by extreme heat requiring an accelerant. It's also caused by heated windows that are then sprayed with water from fire hoses, causing the glass to splinter. Right. And that'd be new science information that they would have got in this new report, which is horseshit. In my opinion, this should have been old science. This one piece right here, because Mm -hmm. anybody that's taken, like if you take a glass that, that comes out of the hot dishwasher, steam cycle immediately and try to pour cold water into it mm-hmm. or fill it up with cold water. We've, we all see the effect of that, yeah. right? The, the sudden change in temperature applied to glass will cause it to break splinter, so on and so forth. Yeah. Like I said, uh, or like you said, this is definitely something that they should have already known. We also talked about the Temperature of the fire and wood fires only burn so hot. That was their evidence stating that the aluminum threshold could not have been melted simply by a wood fire. It had to have been melted due to an accelerant fire. He's saying, Hearst is saying that it's a myth that an accelerant would have been needed to melt 
the aluminum threshold. He's pointing out that wood fires can burn that hot or hot enough on their own. Right. He also points out, and I think this is where you were going, Captain, the V patterns that can be found. V patterns can be found after a flashover. They are not indicative of a point of origin. Dr. Hurst's report concluded that the fire that had killed Carmen, Cameron, and Amber was not an arson in his opinion. He stated on Frontline, quote, Todd Willingham's case falls into that category where there is not one iota of evidence that the fire was arson, not one iota. And he added this, quote, there's nothing to suggest to any reasonable arson investigator that this was an arson fire. It was just a fire. It was likely caused by the space heater or faulty electrical wiring. This meant that Todd Willingham was convicted and sentenced to death without any crime taking place. Unfortunately, Dr. Hurst finished his report only four days before Todd's scheduled execution. Todd's appeals lawyer, Walter Reeves, this is a different attorney, filed several emergency last-minute appeals, sending Dr. Hurst's report to the Texas Board of Pardons and Paroles, asking for Todd's sentence to be commuted. The Texas Court of Criminal Appeals, as well, asking for the execution to be halted and the U.S. Supreme Court and the governor of Texas's office, Rick Perry, whose office received it with only 88 minutes to spare. Despite Hearst's findings, the Texas appeals court refused to delay the execution. The state court wouldn't hear the case. The Board of Pardons and Paroles denied Todd's petition. Ah. And astoundingly, the governor, Rick Perry, declined to grant... Todd a reprieve while the new report was considered. Okay, now the Rick Perry, his office got it, I believe, on a Friday? Yeah, I think that was the report that went out there. But the report here is that his office received it with 88 minutes to spare. Okay. So an hour, less than an hour and a half before the execution. Right. You wish that these reports got there sooner. But here's why I'm on, because... We created this system that's flawed, and we know it's flawed. That's why we have appeals and things like that. But here's this guy that went on trial with gut feelings and not actual scientific evidence. It's like it's like saying, this, this is before DNA, so therefore, I believe the DNA matches. And then DNA comes out, and, and we have scientific proof on when it matches and doesn't, and not just some gut feeling and that's what happened here. And it seems to me constantly that the state and the justice system itself doesn't want to examine itself. It just wants to say, it, it constantly wants to defend itself to say, we got it right the first time. Well, his appeals were exhausted. They did examine themselves, as, you're, as, you, as you say. Um, he had several appeals. He did mm-hmm. receive different representation during that appeals process right how how adequate was that um representation you know if they're not seems pretty thorough to me walter reeves filed several emergency last minute appeals sending them to one two three four four different offices no no i mean the fact that all these offices 
saw these and go, we're not going to, we're not going to call a timeout right now. We're just moving forward. We got it right. Moving forward. See what I mean? Right. No, I, I get it. I get it. Where here's, here's the other thing to keep that I would keep in mind anyway, that when I'm reviewing this, it, Rick Perry is going to have some further involvement in this case or these types of cases, let's say, that will call into question his character for me. Right. I wonder when receiving this report 88 minutes and less than an hour and a half before the execution, did he even, was it even reviewed? Was there right. even time to review? You know what I mean? It's like, and it's nobody's fault. That's just the way that it worked out. That's pretty last minute. It is. It is very last minute. And there's there's no turning back if somebody, if that report is not seen, reviewed before the 88th minute. Yeah. The, the other thing, too, I also want to point out. I respect this Dr. Hurst. I respect his findings, and I believe his findings are correct. I will point out, though, his report also, well, I shouldn't say also, his report does not provide a point of origin for the fire itself. Well, he believed that it was actually, I, I think his, well, go back to gut feeling, is that it was electrical, and that to determine that would have taken minutes is what he claimed because you could follow because now everything is exposed so you'd be able to follow the wire to see where it was faulty at correct i get that but in this report that i cited here he states it could have been electrical wiring bad wiring or it could have been the space heater right but the reason why he doesn't have that is because he wasn't he wasn't physically there he wasn't physically there to go through the wire so you know i he can only base it off of he's saying he's saying had he looked at it, been physically there, this is the route he would have taken. He would have con- been able to conclude within minutes if it was faulty wiring. Right, because if there wasn't faulty wiring, then you could point to the space heater. So I, I I'm guessing that there was faulty wiring, but this is one of those weird cases where people believe somebody's innocent or guilty. And there's not much of a conclusion. Yes, this guy is sentenced to death, and he he goes through with it. I mean, like he he is put to death. Um, and what is what else? Kind of giving a spoiler alert. <laughs> so the 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 weird thing too, while this is all going on, mind you, this is starting in January and leading up to the date of execution. During this time frame, Stacy, his ex wife, now they're divorced. She comes out publicly and stated that she now believed Todd to be guilty. For years, she maintained that he was innocent, right. even camp- campaigning for his release by writing to the governor. But now, she said, after reading the entire trial transcript, she changed her mind. She finally visited Todd in prison just weeks before his scheduled execution date, and the two exchanged some words. Todd asked her not to attend his execution. Right. And Todd asked her to bury him by, you know, with his kids. She denied both of these requests. Todd later found out that Stacy's brother 
signed an affidavit in opposition to his appeals for clemency saying that Todd had confessed the crime to Stacy. This is not true. This didn't happen. Right. But Todd believed that uh, Stacy had turned on him. On February 17th, 2004, Todd's parents spent a few hours with him to say goodbye. He told them he didn't want them to worry and that he would be okay. Todd ate his final meal at 4 p.m. This was three barbecued pork ribs, two orders of onion rings, fried okra, three beef enchiladas with cheese, and two slices of lemon cream pie. Well, you eat the okra because it's good for you. Then he was told that Governor Perry refused his request for a stay. That statement makes it sound like it, the information that was sent to his office was, in fact, reviewed. Right. Basically, for Todd, time is up. Todd refused to cooperate, and he had to be carried into the execution chamber. Shortly after 6 p.m., Todd Willingham was executed by lethal injection. His final statement was, quote, The only statement that I want to make is that I am an innocent man, convicted of a crime I did not commit. I have been persecuted for 12 years for something I did not do. From God's dust I came, and to dust I will return. So the earth shall become my throne. I gotta go, road dog. I love you, Gabby. When Todd finished with this statement, he started swearing in the direction of his ex-wife, Stacy, who was watching the proceeding contrary to his wishes. He said a few sentences that I will not repeat, and then a lethal cocktail was administered, and Todd Willingham was pronounced dead at 6.20 p.m. Yeah, I think she he told her that he wished that should effing rot in hell. Yes. there. It's... <laughs> I think he probably said more than that. Yeah. That's what they report most of the time. It's actually about four sentences long, and it's pretty brutal. Mm. Um, the Chicago Tribune, later that same year, this is on December 9th, 2004, the Tribune had a shocking headline on page one that said, Texas man executed on disproved forensics. The second headline stated, fire that killed his three children, could have been accidental. The story was 16,000 words. The newspaper conducted its own investigation of the Willingham case and hired four fire science experts to review the evidence, including John Latini and General Hurst. The four experts unanimously found that Willingham was prosecuted and convicted based primarily on arson theories that have since been refuted and by scientific advances. The paper cited that the original investigation was flawed and the fire was possibly an accident. John Jackson, the prosecutor in the Willingham case stuck to his guns, even in the face of this report, but a juror in the case felt differently. She questioned if anyone knew about the Hearst report prior to the execution, adding quote, now I will have to live with this for the rest of my life. Maybe this man was innocent. And end quote. The Tribune also interviewed Douglas Fogg, the assistant fire chief in the Willingham investigation. He said that his findings were correct. He said, fires talk to you. Yeah. The structure talks to you. 
He said, you call that years of experience. You don't just pick that knowledge up overnight. He has refused to admit that it is possible that his conclusions were based on erroneous assumptions and outdated concepts. He told Frontline, I don't care how many degrees you have, how many books you may have written, this was a set fire. Yeah, this guy is a moron. This is one of those guys that go, my gut feeling tells me that the earth is flat and, and I don't give a shit what science says. It's ridiculous. The Corsicana Police Department Sergeant Jimmy Hensley, who helped interrogate Todd after the fire, told Frontline, quote, the thing is we eliminated all those possibilities of gas or accidental things that could have caused the fire. So if they're eliminated and they're not present, then it's arson. So, I mean, this is, <laughs> if you believe this statement, then it's like as if arson exists just because the absence of any known cause. Right. And there's also causes that they didn't check. They didn't check the wiring. So, right. And that, that was one big thing that comes out in this whole thing. You know, the Tribune for the very first time publicly revealed that Fogg's report did note possible electrical shorts in two places inside the home. Right. This is, a, yeah, this is stupid. In June of 2005, Governor Perry signed a law establishing the Texas Forensic Science Commission. This govern, government agency was impaneled to improve forensics in the state and investigate forensic analyst misconduct. This included ensuring that forensic fire investigation techniques were up to date. Meanwhile, as a result of the Chicago Tribune's expose on Todd's case, the Innocence Project got involved in trying to posthumously exonerate Todd. It consulted with fire experts, including John Lentini, in reviewing the arson evidence. On May 2, 2006, the Innocent Project released a report from its fire experts that was starkly critical of the original fire investigation that concluded that, quote, each and every one of the indicators of arson had been scientifically proven to be invalid. The Innocence Project sent its report to the TFSC, the Texas Forensic Science Commission, with a request that they investigate Todd's case. Sam Bassett, the chair of the board, decided to hire Dr. Craig Baylor for their first inquiry to look into the case. On August 24, 2009, Baylor's report came out. He found that the original fire investigation relied on indicators of arson that had since been disproved. The initial investigators, Fogg and Vasquez, failed to examine all of the electrical outlets, appliances, and wiring in the Willingham house and did not consider other potential causes of fire. As John Lentini summarized, the Baylor report is point for point, a confirmation of the original Hearst report that all 20 of the indicators were wrong. The evidence says this was an accidental fire. Further, Baylor's report found that the fire investigators did not meet the standard of care for fire investigation at the time. Vasquez's findings are nothing more than a collection of personal beliefs that have nothing to do with science-based fire investigation. This is what Baylor concluded. Right. 
He also said that a finding of arson could not be sustained. This was very bad news for Governor Perry. He was up for another term in office. And look, the last thing he wants looming over his reelection is the specter of a possible innocent man being executed under his watch. So two days before Dr. Baylor was scheduled to testify before the TFSC about his findings, Perry fired Chairman Sam Bissett and two others on the commission. What a shit stain. Perry named John Bradley, this is a close ally, as Bissett's replacement, and the Baylor testimony was canceled. This move by Perry backfired somewhat because when word got out that he had engaged in political maneuvering to avoid publicizing the negligence in Todd's case, the story became a national one, sparking outrage by anti-death penalty activists. On April 14th, 2011, the TFSC released a report that concluded its review of the Willingham case. The report acknowledged that their fire investigation had changed and the Willingham's investigators had relied on now outdated science, but also found that there was insufficient evidence that Fogg and Vasquez were negligent, having used standards accepted in Texas at the time. Meanwhile, a judge who had voted to uphold Texas Meanwhile, a judge who had voted to uphold Todd's death sentence when he was on the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals in 1995 agreed in 2010 to convene a court of inquiry to determine whether Todd had been wrongfully convicted. This was in response to an appeal by Todd's family directly. The judge was preparing an order for exoneration, but the third court of appeals shut this inquiry down on the basis that the judge should recuse himself because he had previously ruled on the case back in 1995 and was not permitted to conduct further inquiry or issue his order of exoneration. Captain, I can tell by the, the The steam coming off my head. Well, and the, the, the low beer uh, count in the fridge and the clock on the wall that we are running out of some time. So I do want to, I'm going to summarize something that's also pretty big in this case. Remember we talked about Johnny Webb, this guy that comes forward from jail and he says, Hey, Todd confessed to me that he killed his kids. He came home one day and Stacy had done something to one of them. Maybe one of the kids was almost dead or even dead. And Todd comes up with this idea. Let's burn the house down. And we're going to hide this whole thing. That's basically his testimony. Without getting too far into the details of this, Johnny Webb eventually does recant that. He, t- he, he there's a there's a retraction of his testimony. Right. He actually says, you know, I I was fed some information, and I went along with it, and I testified against this guy. And I was promised some, you know, like we said, favor for a favor. Yeah, and he didn't get it. He he did receive some uh, favors. Right. Um, you know, again, without getting too much into the details of such, 
His case was recommended for an early parole, this by the prosecutor of Todd Willingham. He was also hooked up with a somebody that might take care of him once he is on the outside, somebody that provided him with money for things like getting back on his feet so he could find a job, getting a vehicle, things of that nature. So he did receive some help, uh, even if you want to go and say that it was from a third or fourth or even fifth party. The problem with Johnny Webb is there will be multiple times that he will say, I was lying when I testified. And then later he comes back and says, no, I wasn't lying. And then he comes back again and says he was lying. I don't, I can't believe anything the guy says. So I think you throw the whole thing out. Yeah. I think for the most part, you throw out any prison type confession because they never seem to go well. So the thing here too is in Johnny Webb's defense, and I know I just said, I don't know that I can believe anything he says. This is backed up by other individuals that we have, some that have been named in this story and are telling of this case, and some that have not been named. Unfortunately, Johnny Webb was brutally attacked when he was in jail. There's evidence to that suggested to me that this was a man that was very afraid, uh, possibly even for his life. I think that he would have been easily manipulated or maybe even came up with some of it on his own. Anything he could, it was battle conditions for this dude. And I think he was doing anything he could to, to save himself. Right. And what's so pathetic though, is we don't know why those conditions were that way because I, I was watching, um, a dramatization of something and it, it almost seemed as if the, the prison put a certain person in harm's way, knowing that later they're going to use them to testify against somebody else. And that person, we just, we don't know yet. We need a little help with the trial, probably down the line. And that's the person we're going to use, but they're the ones setting up the really bad, harsh conditions in prison. Yeah. Or, or failing to understand that there are harsh conditions or, or persons in danger. Right. Yeah, you know, as 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 funny as this may sound to to, to hear, mm-hmm. um, and and this and I, I bring this up because this is something that you you get when you talk about inmates on death row. But it also goes to the same standard of people in jail awaiting trial. Jeffrey Epstein would be a good example, and he's been in the news a whole lot lately. Mm-hmm. Um, Technically, it is the state's duty. It's the state's job to make sure that even if um, somebody is put on death row, even if John piece of shit Smith is put on death row for multiple murders, technically it's the state's job to keep that man alive so they can carry out the sentence of executing him. Same thing with this jailhouse. It's the state's job or the county's job, whoever's housing these persons in jail awaiting their trial to keep them safe to the point that they can actually go to trial, you know, because just because they're in a jail cell does not mean that they're a bad person. It doesn't even mean that they're guilty, right? They haven't gone to trial yet. Now in 2012, Todd's stepmother, Eugenia Willingham and his cousin, Patricia Willingham filed a petition with the Texas board of pardons and paroles for a full pardon for Todd. They had the full assistance and support of the Innocence Project. 
But their petition was opposed by Stacy Kaikendall, who said that she did not feel that Todd deserved a pardon. The Texas Board of Pardons and Paroles voted in March of 2014, and they did deny Todd Willingham uh, a full pardon. Right, because, like I said, the system never wants to admit that it's wrong. It just <laughs> refuses to, even even when they were so scared to uh, go against the new evidence that, like West Memphis 3. It's like, well, how about we have you admit that you're guilty, and then we'll let you out. I mean, some of this stuff doesn't make any sense. You Okay, you're going to take three people that you're claiming killed three eight-year-old boys in a satanic man- manner, and you're going to just say, say you're guilty and we'll let you go. It's ridiculous. And in this case, it's like this, you know, was this guy a piece of shit? Yes, he was a piece of shit, you know, and, and he deserves to rot in hell. Anybody that puts their hand on a, a woman deserves to rot in hell. And then if he was beating her up while she's pregnant, he's even worse. I mean, they should cut off his goddamn testicles for all I give shit. But that doesn't mean that he set this fire. It doesn't mean that he's responsible for their deaths. Now, I would argue that his cowardness is what led to their death. It seems to me that if the police, uh, oh, sorry, I'm getting all frustrated, but it seems to me when the firefighters showed up that they were able to get into the house and actually get to the girl's and it seems to me that when he was when he was coming to or when he was waking up because he hears his daughter that he would have had the time to go in there and get his children out and he chose to be selfish cuz this guy seems to be a selfish selfish piece of shit and you, you could even see when like it's his last words and it's just all about him you know i i I've, i'm innocent of this you know why you could have just admitted you know look i'm innocent of this but yeah i was a coward and i didn't save them and maybe i deserve this uh, it's it's frustrating ooh yeah i i absolutely hate this case 100% it was very interesting to dive into it was very interesting to learn some of the fire science if you want to call it that right. the arson science and how it's changed throughout the years the where where the, you hate this case and why you can't feel good about this case. Look, man, I'm not going to lie to you. We presented a lot of information that says that this guy was, in fact, innocent. After presenting a lot of information that says this guy is guilty. Right. The thing about it, there's still to this day people that feel one way or the other. It's not... It's not a uniform, united front here that everybody is walking arm in arm, hand in hand, and singing the praises of Todd and saying he was innocent of these three murders. I read one interview where there was a person from the area, and the way that this was stated made me feel that there's probably a lot of other people from that area still to this day that would feel the same way. This person's statement was, I know that he's dead. I know that they executed him and I wish that I could dig him up and we could kill him two more times just so it would be even three murders and three executions. Yeah. So there are a lot of people that feel very strongly about this one way or another. And I'll tell you what, after spending two weeks looking at this case and, and just being eyeballs deep in this whole mess, I can see why people feel strongly one way or the other. So I'm not even going to bother getting into that portion of it where I have some, some 
big, big issues is from things at the start. Look, let's all pretend that we are united front and we all 100% believe that Willingham, that Todd Willingham was innocent. And I don't want to victim blame if that would be the case. But one, you know, if you give a, a man enough rope, sometimes he hangs himself. I think what happened here is if he was telling the truth and he was innocent, one, and two, he was a coward and he fled the home, what does he do on that first day of questioning? He gives a very long story of the motions and the actions that he did while still inside the home trying to save his children, failing to do so, and then ending up on the front lawn. And then I think we have a problem where not only was the deck stacked against Willingham, like we said regarding the trial, in a sense, the deck is then stacked against the fire inspectors as well. Because as you're going through this and you're looking at everything, and I know that the one fire inspector said, the fire talks to you, the structure talks to you. Right. And maybe there's a building that can help you if there's fires and buildings talking to you. Anyway, and I know he's just using those terms, but when you're going through this, and it is at that time the fire science to this man's knowledge and to the other fire investigator's knowledge is based off of years of experience, past experiences, things that they have seen, witnessed, and worked on in the past. So in a sense, it is a gut feeling. It's one man or two men's interpretation of what they believe that they're seeing. But you go through and every piece, every burn mark, every questionable thing is a mystery to you. But what is not a mystery is you have this long statement from a man who says he was inside the home, woke up around the time that the fire seemed to start, and he made an attempt to save his children. He, he had movements and actions that were an attempt to save his children. Mm-hmm. Ends up on the front lawn. A bit of that too, man, as an investigator, is you're taking his statements and you're looking at the house and you're going, what he said doesn't match up with what we are finding inside this house. Yeah. He must be lying. Well, why would he lie? Because he set the fire and he killed his children. Right. So... Not to victim blame here if, in fact, Todd Willingham was a victim, but had he just been up front in the beginning and said, look, I woke up and the place was on fire. I don't know what the hell happened. It was, you know, I got burned a little bit and I ran out front and then I was too chicken shit to go back inside. Right. And that, uh, that the, the investigation itself, regardless of, of fires and buildings talking to this man, might have gone a different way. Right. And also, I think he was pretending outside and making a scene to cover up the fact that he was a coward. And then that came off as disingenuous. So Because it was right. disingenuous. The other thing, too, Captain, that, that is terrible. You know, I just referenced how strongly some people in the area still feel to this day about his guilt. And we even have the one juror who says it wasn't a question about his guilt after I figured out that I don't really think he attempted to save his children. What I'm getting at is I I find I'm with you 
and and I'm not going to go as far to blame it on the system. There were some areas, there were plenty of points. You're absolutely right. There were plenty of points and and moments in time where this could have corrected itself or at least put it on freeze mode and re-examined the whole thing. And that right. didn't happen. And that is horrible. But when we say that our system is flawed, there's, there's everybody knows that there's no one out there that denies that one bit. And when this system was set up and put in place, if anybody believed that they were putting in place a flawless system, well, that's a moron. Right. But what we attempt to do over time and we learn with experience, we try to mold the system to uh, get better with time and to do what we set it up to do in the process. What, what I'm getting at here is I find that the trial itself was not a great trial, but that seems to be, from my opinion, more on the defense side. It looks like the prosecution is putting forth the case against this man that was presented to him by investigators and the witnesses that this prosecutor interviewed, minus that of Johnny Webb, because that's a whole nother story. We don't know that portion of it 100%. Johnny Webb can't be believed. This prosecutor could be corrupt, and right. there are signs pointing to that. Mm -hmm. But Johnny Webb, uh, not Johnny Webb, uh, Todd Willingham's counsel again i think they did an okay job they didn't do the best job i think that given what you, what we have people to this day saying let's dig them up and execute them two more times that to me is proof that this trial should have been moved change of venue get this thing away this community that immediate area is too messed up and distraught by the death of three children to probably provide an accurate jury pool. And the other thing too, it just, I mean, they didn't call hardly any witnesses. I don't know. It's just, it's, it's an aggravating case because no matter how you spin it, either three kids were murdered or an innocent man was put to death. Everybody, thanks for joining us in the garage, spending your quality time with us. Be kind to everybody. We'll see you back here next week. Until then, be good, be kind, and don't litter. You ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today.